The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Today we have our missionary to Cameroon, Joe Ryder, speaking in a sermon he's entitled, What Jesus Sees. He's in Luke chapter 9, looking at verses 1 through 17. Turn there, and let's join Joe now in his sermon. Well, I was caught unaware this morning. I I knew it was going to be short. You know, Cameroonian church services are at least a minimum of two hours long. Hour of worship and then an hour of preaching. So this morning, salut et bienvenue au Cameroon. In other words, hello and welcome to Cameroon. Now, how many of you know where Cameroon is? Some of you do. Some of you know the drill. You carry a map of Africa with you, so we're going to have everybody stand up this morning. That means you, Gail. Everybody stand up. She remembers. Gail, oh, we'll talk later. Put your right hand on your head. Put your left hand on your hip. You've just made a map of Africa. Cameroon is right here. You can all sit down right now. We are just a few degrees above the equator. We sit below Nigeria, right next to Chad, Equatorial Guinea, Democratic Republic of Congo, Congo, Gabon. Countries that are war-torn right now. If you've been watching the news, the Central African Republic, Central African Republic is not a a place you want to be. In fact, most of our missionaries have been evacuated from there and probably will not go back in for a year or two, at least. So we live in Cameroon, Africa, a country that's the size of the state of California, a country of 279 languages. That's not dialects, that's languages. So you can imagine the cultural diversity of Cameroon. We talked about our family a little bit. Those, some of you may remember us when we were in this state, this is when we were young and foolish. <laughs> Thought we knew everything, we still don't. Uh, that's Tyler, our oldest there, and some of you remember Austin was born here while we were here in ministry. So that's when our husband, so we get a little older, Austin and Tyler get a little bigger, dad gets a little bigger in a different direction. <laughs> and if you can see the map there, uh, Cameroon is right here in Africa. So you've got the idea of where it is. This is our last furlough. You notice dad is shrinking in height. The boys are getting taller. At this point, Tyler is a college freshman. Austin is a sophomore in high school. And this is us currently. Uh, this is us this last summer down in Fredericksburg, Texas. The four of us on the left. Austin is the tallest of us all now. And uh, probably the strongest too. And then on the right is Donna's extended family, her sister and niece and, and mom and grandma and grandpa. But we want to say a special thank you to you. You've been partners with us in the Bible translation movement in Cameroon for a long time. We joined Wycliffe in 1997, went through orientation, and then left for the field in 1999 to do our French study. And then from French study, we went straight to Africa. You've been partners with us, and it has been a special ride. You are involved in Bible translation And we want to greet you this morning from several people, but we want to say thank you first. Not only do I work in Cameroon, but we also work in Equatorial Guinea. It's a small country just to the south of us on the coast. It's a country of six languages. So we often talk of Cameroon because that's the big picture, but we don't want to forget Equatorial Guinea. Equatorial Guinea is exciting because for the first time in in the history that I know of in Africa, where a field that Wycliffe had worked in is sending missionaries out. And we have three Central American missionaries that are working with us in Wycliffe. 
in Equatorial Guinea because it's Spanish-speaking trade language. And that's exciting to see God move that way. Here's another picture of the boys. The boys are at John Brown University, like Donna said. Tyler is a mechanical engineering major. And Austin is following in his dad's footsteps and studying broadcasting and communications and media. So they were kind of bummed that they were not allowed to go on this trip, but they have class and it's paid for, so they're going. <laughs> no, they're both very good students. And uh, they found out that we were going. I was going disc golfing for the next few days with Pastor Matt and... Uh, Austin was very jealous. So, so, I married a Texan, and in Texas, as you know, if you've never heard, everything's bigger in Texas, supposedly. I'm here to refute that this morning. Everything is bigger in Cameroon. If you take a look at the picture, that is a real fish on the back of a real motorcycle, and that is a termite mound there to the left. How'd you like to have those termites go through your home? We also have uh, millipedes to the right. They're cute, cuddly. They've got little antennas that bop around. They're not poisonous. They look big and they look scary, but they're not. To the right, to the left is one of our teachers at Rainforest International School, and she has discovered the ice cream bean. It has little pods inside, and if you suck the outside of them off, it tastes like vanilla ice cream. I don't know how many of you would go to a supermarket and buy a piece of fruit that is about five feet long or six feet long. They get pretty big. We also have the world's largest frogs. The Goliath frog resides in Cameroon. Gail, this is for you. <laughs> I didn't bring the snake skin. It's out in the car. Okay. <laughs> but this is, the young man is holding it up inside the road, selling it for somebody to eat. That is a serious pair of frog legs. So... We also have some of the most beautiful birds in the world with the longest tails that I've ever seen. We also have some of the world's largest potholes <laughs> or sinkholes. Chuck did not know that the puddle was that deep. And so very often we run into things like that. That is not a meteorite that has landed on a building. That is our CMPS building or our Social Security building. We have a large baked potato on top of it, we call it. We have some of the world's biggest ants. So you can see the ants there. The one up to the right is uh, munching on a flip-flop. Those are the army ants that you can hear. And we've got some beautiful flowers as well. This one is for you, Gail. We have some of the most poisonous snakes in the world. This is a Gabon viper, and sometimes it has a purplish hue to it, but it is a very aggressive snake, and Cameroonians love to eat them. Snake is mostly muscle. And we do have some very large snakes. That is a cobra trying to find its way into somebody's house where it's warm. Okay. And then we have our food transportation system. That car has seen better days. Those are, it's carrying plantains, but Cameroonians are very efficient. They make use of everything that they can use. And they will drive a car until it is absolutely dead. Um, we've seen cars going down the road and it looks like they're going sideways. Um, but these are plantains. If you know plantains, they are not bananas. They are not as sweet. They fry them, boil them, bake them, mash them up like potatoes. And we have those quite often in Cameroon. Just to prove it to you, this is not a one-time occurrence. This is not too far from our house. Another taxi has come in from Europe. These little Honda or Toyota Bluebirds. 
little smaller than a Corolla. And uh, somebody is taking plantains to market to sell. He knows the spare tire on top. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure what those other things are, but the taxi's, the woman is probably on the right is probably moving as fast as the taxi is up this hill, knowing this hill. We are also the largest branch for Wycliffe Bible Translators in Africa. We have about 200 expatriate missionaries and another 55 Cameroonian colleagues. We're a large branch. This is not all of us. And you see a lot of children up there. So when you have that many adults, you also have that many children. Part of the work I'm doing in Cameroon as an HR director is taking care of these missionaries. I'm involved in orientation of new missionaries. About eight weeks, we orient our new missionaries. They go out and stay in a village for the first time with us. Uh, oversee children's education. With missionaries come children, and those children have to be educated. We have two schools in Cameroon. We have Rainforest International School, where our boys went, which is a middle school, high school. And so I make a plea for any of you that are teachers. We're always looking for good teachers. It'll be some of the most enriching time of your life is working with missionary kids, and I can say that honestly because I've had the opportunity to do that. I coach soccer at Rainforest International School, both boys and girls, varsity, and what a joy that is. Uh, Children's education, health services, and many other things I can't go into this morning. We don't have time. But you get the idea of how big our operation is. We're working in over 100 language projects currently, and have probably 150 more to go. You can imagine Bible translation needs. In the world today, there's roughly, and this is a fairly new figure, uh, there are 6,700 languages, but out of those 6,700 languages, 1,967 have no verse. No verse of God's Word. Not even a smidgen of a passage. So that's what Wycliffe Bible Translators is all about. We're about getting people's God's Word in the language of their heart. And also working in other areas. So, that was a lot to take in in a short period of time. We're going to move on into the sermon this morning. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 9. We'll see how far we get this morning. Uh, as I heard Matt say that first service is usually practice. We'll see how far along we get today in the second service. But we're looking at the passage that contains the feeding of the 5,000. And my eyes are growing old and these glasses don't reach that direction, they reach this direction. So I'm going to turn and read this and we're going to read this together. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. It's a point of the disciple, Jesus' relationship with His disciples that He's getting them ready for their first trip out on their own. He sends them out. He's given them authority and power over all demons and to cure diseases. And then what does He do? He says, sends them out to do what two things? Proclaim the Word of God, the good news, because Jesus has come, and to heal, to take care of physical needs. So not only just taking care of spiritual needs, but taking care of physical needs. He's getting them ready to go out. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever you do not receive, they do not receive you when they, you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. 
Now, verse 3 is an interesting verse. When we left for the mission field, we sold a lot of our worldly goods. We sold our home. And we sent to Cameroon what we thought we were going to need. Comes to find out within six months, we're going, why did we send this here? We don't need this. You know, and we learn to use local foods. Donna is, is a wonderful cook. She cooks from scratch. Um, if you want ranch dressing, she knows how to make it from scratch. She makes her own yogurt and other things. And so, this verse took me for a shock when I started studying this passage months ago. Jesus is sending them out with what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, that's not how I would send out a normal missionary, would you? Nothing. But yet, God had given them power and authority. He had given them all they need. He had been investing in their, Jesus had been investing in their lives, teaching them the things of God so that they could go out and share the good news. So they were fully equipped. And it says, whatever house you enter there, stay there and from there depart. And wherever you do not receive you, leave in that town, shake the dust off your feet. I really wrestled with this portion of the passage, what this really meant. And then it hit me. You know, I looked over this passage and I tried to, to read through God's word every year or two. And this passage came up again and I thought, what does it really mean to shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them? And things came to light as we were heading back from Africa, Cameroon. We normally have to fly through Europe. It's not a direct flight from Cameroon to L.A. or wherever we go. Um, And so we stopped in England. Tyler, we had flown out to be with us for seven weeks. Uh, He was out to see his brother graduate from high school. And so it was a special time for Tyler as he came back to home, to Africa, to Cameroon, a place he knew well. So we stopped in Europe. We had the boys with us. We figured this is going to be the last time we're ever going to be able to do this as a family. So we stopped in London and spent a few days there. And we're in this small room, the four of us, with our suitcases and everything that Austin owns because he's leaving Africa for the first, for good. And... God really prompted my heart. I said, we need to pray about our day. As we go out into London to look around, pray that we would not miss what God has for us. And so we did. We prayed that God would show us his divine appointments for us. And so within a couple hours, we're out, and I wanted to get a new SIM card for my phone, so in case something happened to us, my African SIM card would not work in London. So, you know, I needed a SIM card. And as I got to talk to this young man, and he was having problems getting things worked out with my phone, got to find out that this young man was a new believer, very new believer, and had always wanted to be a missionary for the first time, you know, and ask questions about what it was like. And we got into this conversation about it, you know, it's not about God's power, it's about living a life of faith. And we got to invest in this young man's life for the half an hour I was there. Divine appointment. I couldn't have planned that. A little later on, we're going into another part of London and, and... Twinings, the tea company, has a, that's where they started, was in London, and they have a free tea uh, sampling thing, and missionaries like free things. And so we went, and we are sitting there, and you have to excuse our voices, we're coming off the flu from a couple weeks ago, so our voices are still a little bit ragged. So, 
we're in this tea company and we're sitting down and the guy's brewing all his teas and explaining the difference between white, black, and green tea and it's when it's picked and all these other different kinds and where they come from. And then discerned that his accent was not English. And come to find out this was a young man that had immigrated over to England from Ireland. And he started asking why we were there in England and, and you know what we were all about. And, and we got to share that we're missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators and what the work of Wycliffe was all about, about getting God's Word into the language of the heart. And you could see this young man, the wheels turning. And he started to get a little teary-eyed. As he started to talk about you know, he had grown up in Ireland and he had started school in his heart language and regrets ever having really learned his language of his heart, but his sister and his brother had finished university, all the way up through university in their mother tongue. Another divine appointment as we got to share the importance of God's Word in someone's life and just invest in somebody's life who was just, we were there for, for a tea tour, you know. God has divine appointments for us. And I can honestly say as a missionary, I've missed some of those. I get home after a day of work and say, you know, I should have said that to someone, so-and-so. Or, you know, I could have given a word of encouragement to that person. And whether it's a person, our next-door neighbor, or whether it's the girl at the checkout counter that we see once a week or every two weeks when we buy our groceries, God may have a divine appointment. And don't hesitate to strike up conversations with people around you. You'd be surprised. Whether it's on an airplane or wherever it is, um, it's been amazing over the years for God to show us those divine appointments. So God had some divine appointments for the disciples, the places where they weren't, the disciples were supposed to leave, so they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They were busy. In the meantime, what is Jesus doing? We have an indication, and this story is in all four of the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000 and the precursor to that. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. One of the other passages mentions that uh, John's the Baptist disciples came and told Jesus about what had happened. And you can imagine, this: Jesus was is completely God, but he's also completely human. He experienced many of the same things we did. John the Baptist was his cousin. He probably had a family relationship with this guy. He knew he was a fellow laborer. We know that for sure. And here is, Herod is looking for Jesus. A government official is looking to see Jesus. And I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that Jesus was afraid at this point, but to have a ruler come looking for you is not a pleasant thing. We know that Jesus did eventually see Herod when? When he went to see Herod at the end of his life. I have a similar experience. Not that I had somebody that was looking for my head, but a couple years ago, I was preaching in a Bible translation Sunday in the largest Baptist church in the capital city of Yaoundé. And we do this, we speak in churches to raise up the awareness of Bible translation in our Cameroonian churches. And the Cameroonian churches are excited about Bible translation. 
they see the importance of having God's word in the language of your heart. So here I am preaching on a Sunday morning in the largest Baptist church. It's got six exits or aisles out. And in Cameroonian church, most of the floors are cement covered with tile. And sometimes it's a very slick and shiny tile. Here I am in a suit, dress shoes, dressed appropriately to preach. I get done with my sermon and I sit down and the elder of the day at this church comes over and sits next to me and says, when we're done here, we're going to go down and shake the prime minister's hand. I said, okay, no problem. And they went through a couple more songs and we prayed and then got up to go. And I'm watching the stairs as I'm trying not to fall down these stairs with dress shoes and slick tile. And by the time I get to the bottom, I look up and the congregation is snickering at me. You know, what had happened is the two guys had gone down there and shaken the prime minister's hand and they were halfway up an aisle. I had turned left. They said we were going to the left door. There were three sets of left doors. I went to the ones that were open and so I missed it. I missed the prime minister. At that moment in time, I had a choice to make because at that moment in time, I turned to try to find these two guys to maybe follow them up the aisle and, and save face a little bit. The prime minister and his entourage gets up. And I had, had never met him before, so I didn't know what he looked like. And they're headed straight towards me. I had two choices to make. Either I just let him go by and just let it go, or I shake his hand. Well, I chose to let him go by, and I can honestly say I am the only person in... Wycliffe, Cameroon, that's ever snubbed the Prime Minister of Cameroon. But the exciting thing is, is that he is a man of God, loves the Lord, he's an Oku man, and this last November, he got God's Word, the New Testament, in the language of his heart. The Prime Minister of a nation. You can imagine what deep impact that is going to have on him. He loves Wycliffe, he loves the work we're doing there. So let's move on. We're going to look in three passages now because it's interesting to get the big picture of what's going on. And we'll start on the bottom. It says, On the return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Move up to Mark. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many are coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. In verse 13 it says, Now when Jesus has heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So the picture we have here is the disciples come back. They are excited because they tell him everything that they have done. You can imagine. For the first time in their lives, they're casting out demons, they're healing, they're preaching the gospel. People are coming to know the truth of the gospel. And the picture we have is they come back and they don't even have time because there are people around them wanting to, to talk with them. They don't even have time to eat. And Jesus discerns that they need a time of rest. He and they need a time alone to be apart with their Heavenly Father, to spend time in rest and that. But what happens? The crowds hear about it. And what do they do? They follow them around to the other side of the lake and meet them there. And this is where we find another crucial part of what Jesus sees. I love this. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Jesus is doing the same thing the disciples did. Meeting the physical and spiritual needs that they have. He welcomed them. Jesus was tired. You've got to remember now, 
He had recently found out about what had happened to his cousin. Herod's looking for him. His disciples come back. They're all excited. And they're probably yakking away. And Jesus takes time out. And why does he do that? And we find that in Mark. He says, now many saw them going and he recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had great compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus had compassion on them. I love the Greek word there, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but the word there is splunknozomai. Now, how many of you know what that word means? Do we have any doctors or medical people in here? The study of splunknology is the study of your visceral parts. Jesus had compassion. He felt it to his innermost core when he saw them. Do we see people like that? Do we see our neighbors like that? Do we see our classmates? Our co-workers like that? Jesus saw them and realized that they were sheep without a shepherd. Now, I'm the grandson of a dairy farmer. My grandfather did keep sheep, and sheep are stupid. I can say that from personal experience. Sheep without a shepherd is not a good thing. It's a tragic thing. Jesus was tired. The disciples were tired. And Jesus stops and takes a moment out. And he has compassion on them. And it says, what did he do? He started to teach them about many things. Wow, powerful. Nelson Mandela said, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. And I can understand that. I know French and Spanish. Uh, reading in a French Bible doesn't speak to me like, like God's Word in English does. The second part of that is if you talk to a man in his language, that goes to his heart. It's a very deep thing. You know, recently I asked my friend Simon before we came back. Um, I've known Simon for a number of years, and uh, he's a coal man. He's had it in his New Testament for five years. I said, Simon, now that you've had God's Word for a bit, what does it mean to you? And he said, it's like God's Word gets into my blood. It goes deep. He says, I pray things of God that, are, that I never understood before. Having God's Word in the language of your heart is, is, is important. And it's why we do what we do, why we go to the mission field. Um, it's what keeps us there. Because God has something for us to do. It was a Tuesday morning. And I had gone to my office early like I do most mornings at 7 o'clock. We have internet in Cameroon, but it is microscopically small and slow. And so I was trying to get some emails in and do some work on our, on our database. And an email popped up and it said Toma had died overnight. What you need to know about Toma is Toma is a Cameroonian colleague that had been serving with us for over 20 years. 20 years he had faithfully served as our office manager in the far northern part of Cameroon, Islamic area. Had eight kids and a wife. And I had heard on Sunday that Toma had spent Sunday night, his wife and his family had slept outside as they do in that part of Cameroon in, in the month of April because it is extremely hot and it's too hot to be inside. So they're out sleeping on the ground and their house lit on fire. From what I understand is that he made several trips into the house. We don't know if it was looking for any of his eight kids. 
in the confusion, but he was looking for something and he came out. His wife grabbed him because he was heading back in and the skin of his arms came off. Toma died within 20 hours later and that was the email that I'd gotten. A faithful servant and God had gone home. What you don't know is that in the five months previous, we had just lost two other colleagues. Karen Jackson, mother of a same age as Donna, had a daughter in Biola University and a high school daughter. Had a flu or a cold. Thought she was coming out of it. Went into septic shock and passed out. And they evacuated her to South Africa and she died on the table in South Africa. I had the privilege to drive to the port city and pick her husband up, Chris up. Chris and I have been friends for many years. And he and I spent the night in Douala and words can't express the sorrow. What do you say to someone who's just lost his wife? It's not easy. Chris, God opened up a special door, a divine opportunity where I had three and a half hours as we drove back to Yonde, the capital city, for Chris just to unload, to share all that was going on in his heart and his life. You see, it's not easy to lose a colleague because they're not easy to replace. It takes so long to get people to the mission field. Oftentimes, they have to raise their financial support, raise their prayer support, go through language study. So it's not like we can pick a colleague off of a tree. I was reminded this week we just lost our sixth colleague in about 14 months. Our head of our finance department died of a heart attack on Monday. But when Toma's death occurred, I was in a state of shock. I had already done two funerals. And it was as if a sledgehammer had hit me. I was numb. And I had a set of meetings to go to that morning because leaders from Africa area, the other officers were there in our, on our compound and we were having a big area meeting. And I said, God, what are you doing? It just hurt so bad. And last time we were here, I preached a sermon about Peter getting out of the boat and stepping out on the water. And God reminded me of that and said, you know, Peter took his eyes off me. He listened to the wind and the waves and took his eyes off me. He said, keep your eyes on me. Can't say it was, it's always been easy, but as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can walk this walk. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.